this is Doug. This is Jacob. And welcome to Best Worst Podcast, episode 22. 22. We finally got it right. And that chink you hear there is the uh, Glenlivet 12 year. Uh, Being classically consumed in... In uh, our new premises in Remuera. Oh, in coffee in cups, cups and teacups, <laughs> respectively. Um, the joys of subletting. Uh, it seems that not everybody has their own whiskey glasses, which is... I don't know what's going on it's there. It's a pretty big surprise. I just assumed <laughs> that would be part of everybody's household... Uh, uh, shelves, but not really. So, no. um, so we've managed to catch up on our sleep after our last podcast yes, in the yes. uh, onslaught of the New Zealand Film Festival. How are you holding up? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of maintaining reasonable health. I think. Sort of. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's hope that continues. <laughs> and, and you saw Maniac, and you haven't scalped anyone yet. No, uh, no. Oddly enough, um, I haven't, um, you know, stalked anybody. Um, no, or, no, or scalped. Well, that's good to know. For those who don't know, if I think there's some people outside of New Zealand who might not know that Maniac was uh, banned here or restricted to film festival-only screenings. It'll never have a home video release in New Zealand yeah. because of its potential for um Somewhat surprising, Injury. actually. Yeah. Somewhat surprising. I mean, Did I, you feel like it wasn't that bad? No, no. I mean, it was bad, don't get me wrong, mm. but I feel like I've seen a bunch of stuff which was more disturbing. Um I guess I can understand from the point of view of being shot in first person, um, and so perhaps that sense of more actively making you participate in the act of and putting yourself in the place of mm. the of the um, perpetrator. But I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was that bad. It's this whole question of censorship and how much movies affect you, though, is something I've been thinking about a lot. Less from whether censorship is a right thing, but yeah. I mean. I mean, I made that joke about not scalping people, but at the same time, like that is a lot of the argument. It's like, oh, that movies don't affect you. But I, I personally found that um, getting to the end of this film festival, I happened to select a large number of movies about relationships that end badly and that, and, and they were all very well-made movies by by and large, you know, but there was something just, um, so disheartening of exposing yourself <laughs> to that narrative so many times, yeah. um, and then you wonder how much movies do affect you. And then I, well, then I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that they they certainly do affect you. Just like music um, affects mood and what have you, but but that the correlation between say pushing you outside of your values, yeah, and, and watching a movie that does something that you would never do is not. I wouldn't say you could say that would do that. You know. Well, it's interesting because there is a film. Which, um, I mean, maybe we can start talking about some of the most powerful films that we saw. And the one I'll mention is probably my highest rated film that I hadn't mentioned on the previous podcast. Um, The Act of Killing, which very early on explicitly states um, uh, that one of the characters who was a murderer for the Indonesian death squads in 1965, Mm. he had had a problem. And the problem was that he, uh, his killing methods were rather messy and he was often left with blood um everywhere and it yeah. was quite problematic but um he went to the movies um he actually yeah. owned a theater he was a cinema gangster yeah and um took inspiration from the uh hollywood movies of old and started strangling people with wires yeah. and learned how to more effectively kill people and um that it's a pretty uh it's I, I don't think there's a real strong argument that he wouldn't have killed them if he hadn't seen the film but it is uh, it is also an explicit argument that how he killed them was directly influenced 
by that, which is perhaps one of the least um, revelatory or interesting things to say about the film. But, yeah. Uh, it did come to mind yeah. uh, during it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was uh, a very heavy and a very... Probably the most disturbing film I saw. Yeah. Well, not probably. It was the most disturbing film I saw. But a very a very good film uh, in a sense <laughs> there, there's this um there's this concept that uh, an american c- cartoonist uh had during came up during the second part of the bush era oh yeah, yeah. um and there was this long thing and at the end it just said you know i outrage overload because you know so many things yeah, yeah. had been going on and um i mean i won't speak for your politics but personally i felt some of that in in sort of Latter-day New Zealand was the every latest John Key scandal or John mm. Key poor decision. And it's just like, I can't even get upset anymore. And, mm. and um, because the act of killing is so relentlessly, mm. uh, I mean, one of the things about Indonesia um, is that the people who did this are still in power, still in power yeah. and can, and can speak publicly about it without fear of recrimination. Mm. And um, there's a really, uh, stunning sequence about two thirds of the way in where they're on public television yeah, yeah. talking about how they killed all these people. And, you know, various, a politician who's in this studio audience starts cheering them on as heroes and there's applause. And it's just, it's sort of like some speculative fiction of like where, you know, Hitler won world yeah, war two yeah. and Goebbels is going on game shows and people are like, you did such good work, man. Oh. Um, and, and, but it's real and it's, happen and and it's it's every time you get sort of acclimated to like oh yeah these are human beings and i'm relating to them or this is kind of horrific but i can't actually deal with it more it somehow ratchets yeah yet again to remind you Mm -hmm. of sort of the enormity of what it's taking on we haven't really described what the point of the movie is yet yeah (laughs) are we going to go into that Uh, well i mean i guess i mean it's it's mentioned in the opening title card so i guess it's fair to say that and i guess some of the background which is worth mentioning yeah um because uh some people have kind of pulled up the film for various ideological reasons but um joshua oppenheimer who directed it originally went to indonesia to do a documentary about the victims yeah and uh, found himself stymied at every turn. Found yeah, wasn't government, to yeah, um, yeah, and and the only people who could get to talk on screen, paradoxically enough, were these with mass murderers. Yeah, were the perpetrators. And so the movie became that. But in order to um, get them to potentially negotiate and understand, for in a different light, what they had done, he proposed having them make a film, yeah, out of their exploits. And so the film is. The act of um, killing, it almost turns into the making of the surreal, pseudo-historical dramatization of god-awful events. Yeah, but also with, like, fantasy sequences yeah, yeah. and musical sequences. And yeah. Very indebted to lots of traditional Thai Indonesian cinema. Yeah. cinema. Oh, Indonesian, um, sorry, yeah. And, I yeah. Know, so I think of Thai because of the color schemes are kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, some of the footage I've seen from Opera Jawa, for instance, mm. looks quite similar. And um, I will say that I've watched Lady Terminator after that, and it plays in a very <laughs> different light. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, I Yeah, it's... It's well worth seeing. We got the 160-minute cut, whereas I think in the States there's a 120-minute cut. Yeah. And it'd be interesting if that was a little less wearing experience. I talked to my friend who I was in the same theater with uh, the other day, and we were reminiscing about how afterwards we both got out, and we couldn't even really speak to each other. (laughs) We were just just a bit 
shell-shocked. Um, yeah, very much so. It, it certainly left one of, if not the biggest impression on me coming out. Uh, yeah, it was just dumbfounded by by the the way um, the way the peop- the main kind of characters and subjects. Um, yeah, really have no sense. Well, some of them. I mean, they have, might have some sense that okay, some people think we've done wrong, but we really don't. Or, yeah, well, or either that, or yeah. we're telling ourselves we have to tell ourselves with that because the enormity, the horror of it, is too much. You know. Well, it's interesting because they debate some of those on yeah. screen, and some of the some of the guys like I'm haunted by like nightmares, the, and other ones are like, oh yeah, I have sleep. That's because you're weak. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? exactly. Yeah. And um, it is a reminder that so much of what we consider moral or right in society is based on. You know the accidents of where where our society is yeah. at at the time. I was thinking about today. It's like um, a friend is um, raising money for cancer treatment yeah. for a friend with an online fundraiser because that. And it's like there's probably a dystopian piece of um, <laughs> science fiction from the '60s where people are begging online yeah, yeah. for their friends to help pay for their medical treatment because yeah. the government won't. And yeah. You know, that's what we're living now, yeah. and and it just kind of seems normal because we're used to it. But yeah, context um, is, is is a big. That was one thing I was thinking of when you kind of because I think probably one of the biggest things that came to me is it's difficult for us in our context to even understand how the main um, subjects and how the 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 people and the government and the controlling powers in that country got to the space yeah. where they can see that that. That that's okay, um, like that one guy who was um, basically boasting. Yeah, take me to the Hague. Yeah, <laughs> they can call me. Yeah. I'll, I'll be fa- I'll be famous. You know what can they do? I'm um, I'm in power and and um, we're in the right. History yeah. is written by the victors. We're the victors. And he says that, and I'm like, oh wow, this is insane. It's a really interesting. Um a film that I saw that I might have mentioned in passing last time, The Missing Picture, which I didn't like as much, yeah. nearly as much, but. Um, it was about the Khmer Rouge and yeah. the Cambodian genocide, and that was the communists taking power yeah. and <laughs> yeah. killing people and that. And whereas Indonesia, it was a right-wing coup, yeah. and they were killing communists or anybody who was perceived to be associated with communists. And, and to have you know two somewhat similar stories in similar region of the world coming from directly opposed mm-hmm. ideological mm-hmm. viewpoints was... Yeah. Uh, compelling um statement on the poisonous power of uh, yeah. <laughs> ideology yeah. to unite and destroy in horrible ways yeah. um regardless of its intense yeah i suppose um did you say anything that cheered you up or was it uh <laughs> for, did you have as miserable of a festival and in a very good way mind you know no offense but uh, um yeah yeah i did um i think i was just off to see um starlet maybe yeah yeah you were just after off. our last record yeah, yeah. That that's um stuck with me uh and made it to my my top five. Um Right, wow, that's really And and that was quite a definitely had some, some dramatic tension to it, but to, mm. overall it was quite a a really nice story of, of um friendship and a very kind of odd friendship. And and a relationship that develops around some because it's a some young like actress some, and a grandmother, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a flighty girl in her twenties come to LA, sort of from from wherever she's from, who's sort of distanced from her family and is is trying to get into the industry, I guess. Um, but she, it just sort of doesn't say 
a lot at first about what she does and then she kind of by chance comes into contact or into the sphere of this um octogenarian who is a bit of a misanthrope and and kind of one of the grumpy old people who doesn't sort of really seem to want to connect with sort of anybody outside of her current sphere um but this girl kind of forces herself on her and and then they end up having this really bizarre kind of friendship relationship and then dependence that sort of grows and and they sort of unknowingly sort of fill areas of grief and loss in each other um which sort of slowly comes out but um not in a very kind of overt, obvious way necessarily. Um, yeah, it's just really nice. And and then, you know, there's some disclosures that aren't made that sort of get discovered at certain points, um, which could provide a bit of tension, but actually the primary characters are kind of like, well, actually from what I'm gaining from this relationship and where it's sort of taken me, I- I'm just going to suck that up. Or, or Right, so it or, undercuts or, kind of those turning points yeah. where it's usually like, oh, this has happened, I'm yeah. going to throw my toys out of the cot because it makes for better drama yeah wow that's and the director was here for that yes yes he was and uh, that was quite a nice little q a afterwards actually he um had some sort of interesting things to to say about about the way it was produced and uh, the guy i mean i i did you ever see the show greg the bunny yeah, Sarah Silverman. Yeah, he he was involved with that um him and the producer were the creators of the show Oh right, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and they wrote, co-wrote Starlight, which, which was another another point for me. You've got this um, this intergenerational story of two ladies, mm. written by two guys, right? Um, two forty-year-old men, um, which really, to me, I mean, I'm, uh, it'd be interesting to talk to um, some women who'd seen it and see how they perceived it. But to me, sort of came across with very little gender bias and and was very um, generous to its characters. Yeah. Um, male or female, but it was a primarily female story and female relationships, which I thought was really interesting um, because there aren't nearly enough of those. Um, but yeah. often, you know, they're they're driven primarily by women, and um, and you know may, maybe a lot of guys would find you know less appeal in them. But this, I don't know, I found this really really interesting. Um, I, I really, sh- I I always feel sad when that gets said because you know it's like there's so many stories it's just like there there should be human stories yeah it's like human stories you know it's like a film like i mean fargo is one that comes to mind instantly where it's like Mm. it's a strong female protagonist Mm. and it's a great movie and it certainly wasn't held back by that at any level and not i mean in terms of its popular yeah reception and you know there there should be I should be able to name a hundred films like Fargo, you yeah. Know? And um, there's not as many. I mean, I guess Kill Bill comes to mind as you know, yep. strong female protagonist. But um, and yeah, I mean, there's lot, lots of at much lower levels of yeah. box office success. But there is, I think, still that perceived barrier in thinking about the films I saw this year. A lot of a lot of them skewed male, and that may have just been selection bias. Uh, or a selection accident, but um, uh, possibly, and, and maybe it's just a, a sort of a function of the number of like the the, the relative difficulty of of um, succeeding in the industry for females. Yeah, although looking at, I mean, upstream color, uh, like someone in love, uh, stories we tell, stories we tell, bit, yeah, um, self different. Um, although that wasn't, yeah, everyday objects. Uh, Cutie and the Boxer. I mean, those were all nobody's daughter. Hey, Juan. 
Um, you're next. Uh, Only lovers left alive. Uh, you know, there's a fair few there. Mm. Um, but yeah, like spectacular. Now was one where it was very, even though it was a male female story, it was very biased towards the male's point of view. Oh, yeah. um, it felt like love. Actually, it was an interesting film that I don't think I got to mention last time. Oh, no, that's a U.S. indie that um, about a 15 or 16 year old um, sort of negotiating the fact that her friends sort of sexually blossoming before her and mm. uh, very light on dialogue. Um, she's living with her dad. It's mm. not really explained what's happened to mom. And she's kind of, um, trying to grow into those sh- shoes. And, um, there's ultimately some really tough confrontational <laughs> scenes in it where she kind of, you know, is trying to mm. live up to what it, she perceives it to mean to be, a woman and then uh <laughs> yeah faces the reality of it in really difficult ways um there were some first film awkwardnesses of it and a bit on the nose uh in the ending but overall uh, a really promising um debut i think from that director hmm. um yeah so i mean i i don't certainly don't want to say anything about the overall character of the festival in yeah. terms of that but i yeah it did feel like i wound up at one too many films that were you know, from the guy, the guy's story or the yeah. guy's <laughs> point of view, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I chose not to see Starlet. So yeah, I was <laughs> I was at a field in England, which had no women in it yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. So, um. another um, one that I, that um, sort of made my top picks, and I, that um, we talked about uh, in our preview was um, Harmony Lessons, mm. which was um, fantastic kind of low burn drama kind of dark edged about a young young boy and I thought it was a boarding school but actually he was just in a school and still lived with his mum I think um, and he came from a sort of a rural setting and so and that's the Kazakhstan film yeah right? yeah I think that's that was kind of visceral in some ways in that like um, the opening sequence I think I think it's the opening sequence near the start he um, in his daily kind of life sort of shows his kind of background experience I guess butchers a, a sheep for the family um, mm. but, and, and, and there's, there's no uh, no animals for harder than this making of this film. He's actually butchering that sheep. Mo animals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a really interesting drama about about a, a boy who goes into a school environment where there's a lot of bullying and some gang sort of related stuff happening in there, yeah. um, but very kind of low key, and then sort of finds his way through, and then the, he gets a friend, befriends someone in there, um, and kind of look out for each other kind of don't yeah some really interesting kind of choices actually the one of the films that reminded me a lot of was after school oh really yeah um in terms of i mean a setting but also the kind of very kind of unsettling chilling kind of behavior that happens it didn't have a lot of the um the kind of skewed camera work and, and production techniques that um antonio campos and crew um designed into that film which made it really kind of mess with my head but this was a right. similar kind of chilling very unsettling um tone and and set of events yeah it was really really yeah good. it's an, I've, I've heard some very glowing reviews and i've heard some people who really didn't like it oh, so really? it sounds like it was a pretty divisive uh, yeah. film but i do regret not checking it out although i think yeah. i was at norte the end of history so oh, I feel... yeah. no regrets there <laughs> no no I, I, i've already expounded on that at great length haven't i should I, i'll do it one yeah more. do it again man I mean, okay yeah so uh, Everyone I everyone I come across who has seen that film is like, I can't. People who missed that film 
well, you might as well just pack up and leave now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's, I mean, the thing is that it is the film that I've loved most at the festival since Mm. Certified Copy in 2010. It's a four-hour film that at the end of it, I felt like I could go for another hour Mm. without any problem. And in terms of, you know, perceived ass time, you know, like what percentage of this film am I restless for? Yeah. Like, it was one of the shortest films of the festival. I mean, it's basically a riff on crime and punishment in modern-day Philippines. Um, Norte is actually a territory, um, I think, in the northern Philippines, which is where Marcos was from. And so um, there's a lot of um, political discussion early on, some of which made me feel like I should have done my research on it. But for the most part, it's not really that important to know. Um, but it's just really, um, felt really novelistic to me in a way that few films do, you know, so many films feel like these very summary characters Mm. that are, you can kind of, they appear on screen and you know what they are and that's what they're going to do for the rest of the film. They don't surprise you. It's just, they, they, you don't, they don't have time to develop as characters because they have to jump through the plot hole. Yeah. Oops. Uh, whereas with Norte, because it's four hours, they, there's these scenes that can unfold in real time. And, um, you know, at first it seems like, oh, maybe there's not a lot happening. There's just these scenes of people hanging out and talking. And then uh, there's one scene about 45 minutes in where two minutes into it, somebody j- just drops a line of dialogue. It's like, whoa, that you know, is yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind of the equivalent of... Um, coming over to somebody's house and getting on their coffee table and taking a pee. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, in terms of the yeah. shock value. Yeah. And, and and from that point forward, there's this continual sense that, you know, you don't ever really fully know exactly what these characters are capable of and 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 what they are going to do. And... Yet at the same time, it's not like it's arbitrary what they do. In retrospect, mm. it makes sense in in that great sort of character building novelistic yeah. kind of way. But it's not like, oh, this character is the evil character. He only behaves like this. This character is the good character. He only behaves like this. It's, you know, people struggling with the best and worst parts of their nature to varying degrees. Um I don't know. And, and that all makes it sound really boring. I mean, it just felt like it felt in the best way, like curling up on the couch for four hours with a really good book hmm. um, and nice. and just getting lost in it. Um, he's a minimalist in terms of how he shoots. There's no music, um, but he, he has very subtle camera movement. I, yeah. Like the first shot is probably like six minutes. It's a discussion in a cafe hmm. and it like starts with a wide shot where maybe the table where the three characters who are talking takes up half the screen mm. and three minutes later that tables takes up the entirety of the screen, yeah. but it's moved that slowly yeah, over yeah. three minutes. Uh, and, and, and so there's this very subtle kind of thing all the way through. And then, and then there's some scenes where he uses POV shots. He's not so dogmatic about his style, like a mm. Bailatar or a Nerd yeah. Belch Ceylon or something like yeah. that, that the style overwhelms mm. the narrative. It's still very, narrative driven film it's not slow cinema there are shots that linger that give you space to breathe but yeah i'll stop now at danger of going talking about it for as long as the running time (laughs) of the film but um i i did love it i did think it was um 
the biggest feather in the cap this year. It's yeah. a, a film that uh, is you know straight out of Cannes, and I think because of that, it hasn't quite got the fame that it'll yeah. have in a year. Yeah. Like, I think a year from now... We've got our um, momentum. Yeah. Well, because the filmmaker Lab Diaz, like, this is actually a short film by his standards. He's done seven-hour films, yeah, nine-hour films, 11-hour <laughs> films. And so, I... Th- and I think a lot of them... That's got a, bit... a very different sense of cinema in the Philippines. <laughs> well, I, I think it might just be him. But from all accounts, like some of those films are more experimental. And this mm. one really takes a step forward in yeah. terms of his uh, confidence in that. And I think it's uh, once it starts hitting some other international festivals, it, it's just going to have a reputation yeah. that, you know, snowballs. Mm. And hopefully um when, whenever his follow-up shows up and however many hours that be that turns out to be we'll have it again because they're they're very much big screen experiences mm, cool yeah flip side of that i guess would be a band called death did you see that no no i didn't yeah yeah so that's short and accessible and available everywhere it is it? through draft house yeah that punk, and, black, uh, a black punk band is it so the story of a man called Death is they're from Detroit, and yep. it's I got in an argument or not an argument, but a discussion with somebody. It's like it's very much like that kind of like who Jimi Hendrix, Blue Cheer, like this kind of early seventies noise rock that yep. kind of is sort of proto punk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's three black guys who are all brothers doing it, and um, they originally started with a different band name, and then they changed to Death, which is actually. Um, at first, you're like, oh, whatever. But actually, uh, they chose the band name Death uh, in part. Well, one of the brothers chose it because of his hardcore Christian beliefs and explains, mm. you know, that death is actually, like, not this terrible thing, but, you know, this step towards Passing being... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And mm. and so that became part of his construction. And the other two brothers are like, this is crazy shit. But, you know, yeah. the, the third brother's writing all the songs and stuff like that. <laughs> and so you have this family story and you have this story about creative struggle. Mm. And then you have this story where eventually... The band, it's revealed quite early on that uh, the the brother who uh, was sort of the instigator of that has um, passed away. Oh. Uh, and then death sort of faded away. Mm. And the story of how they eventually came to light again is sort of is extraordinary in and of mm. itself. But um, yeah, it, it's it's the rare music doco. It's it's hard for me to say this with complete confidence because I liked the music, mm. but I think you could hate the music and still fall in love with it yeah. because the characters are so amazing and the mm. story is so powerful and and really heartfelt. It's just I think it's relatable to anybody who's ever you know been in a family or done something they cared about. You mm. know, I think I mean it's it's that level oh, of it. It's good thing it's, that it's successful. Yeah. I have heard pretty good things for most people about that as well yeah that was one that i really didn't kind of have on my radar but yeah well i think i think it's one of those that uh, there's even a a quote from henry rollins i think in the first there's sort of two minutes where they get all the celebrities out of the way it's like yeah the music you can imagine you know just the the line in the trailer is like you know three black guys from detroit invented punk before punk existed yeah yeah and that's true but that's actually also really yeah, it, it's not what gives the documentary its juice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's what it's a starting point for this much bigger, much more human story yeah. that is probably yeah. I mean, probably the most I cried during the festival, and also oh, a wow, huge really? amount of laughs. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. really touching, really powerful. 
film. And uh, yeah, I mean, now that thinking about it, I'm, I'm likely to revisit it at some point. Um, oh, cool. Well, maybe spend I'll join more, you for more time with those people. Yeah. So, yeah. Your turn. Uh, okay, so I'll revisit a film as well, and just briefly, actually. Um, at the end, at the end of the day, computer chess still tops my list. Really, number one, you reckon? Yeah, it's just that thing of it appeals to me on so many different levels. Uh, <laughs> on the on the on the just the pure geek nerdery of it, I love chess. Um, not that I get to play it a lot, yeah. or that I'm particularly good, um, but I used to play a bit. I was passed through the chess club at high school. Mostly to have something to put on my um, <coughs> my school record or whatever. But um, my brother used to play competition chess when I was younger, and we used to play quite a bit clock chess and what have you. And right. and yeah, so that whole and then he got into um, playing early year, but not that early computer chess games because my brother's a uh, software developer. Did you ever have battle chess? Yeah, yeah, <sighs> we used to play that. Shane used to win. <laughs> um, you watch as all your pieces got beaten, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then the surrealism that but the kind of the very low-key surrealism of it in it it's funny because you kind of often you think of surrealism in a sense of the quite overt almost you know john rouse is a good example of kind of the really bizarre kind of side of it but yeah did a really good job of just creating these really odd turns and strange happenings like these characters basically locked into a conference venue in this bizarre little hotel and then wandering the halls at night and weird things with cats and and and, and the prostitute in the lobby and <laughs> and conspiracy theory talking in the you know to the and, the, and, and the sex therapy yeah and the sex therapy yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it was just everything about it was uh, was hitting my zone and uh yeah i just came Came away with yeah, just yeah. That that stupid, was stupid smile and <laughs> I, I I smiled through that as well. I I really um I, so I, I've, I've appreciated Bujowski's other films, but I haven't really um I certainly haven't felt as deeply for them as you have. This was such a departure. Mm. I felt like and um it was one of um two American indie films. The other being Upstream Color, mm. which really felt like somebody was just throwing out the rule book and playing by their own <laughs> rules the entire time. And in some ways, I think Computer Chess is even a stranger film mm. than Upstream Color. It just, yeah, like, it's, fun, it's funny because I talked to somebody who's disappointed. And they want, they're like, oh, I wish they'd done, like, the Christopher Guest version or something, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and you can sort of imagine, like, the Christopher no, Guest no, version no. of Computer Chess. I, I, um, I, I hear what they're saying, but no. Yeah, no. yeah. I'm just like, that just destroys everything. Yeah. <laughs> special about it and how it just gradually oh. goes insane well, one, one of the comments that people have yeah. made that i find interesting is that they sort of see, it feels like a bit of a time capsule like someone's found this bizarre little piece because of uh, the way that he shot yeah. it with the with the camera period cameras and and mm. like and, and when i was uh, in my little interview with him he, he sort of said you know a lot of um the and some other things i've read that uh, some of the stuff that happened with the camera was was just kind of you know unplanned what happens when with equipment this old and yeah. it happened and and they re- they were really excited about that sort of stuff and it's like yeah let's, we're definitely keeping all of this because it just makes a really interesting visual kind of thing and 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 it's unpredictable you can't control what's going to happen yeah. uh, but but i but i mean even within that um there's also just a lot of really unlikely um non-standard editing choices the way that things flow or don't flow and 
and I mean this as a compliment at points it feels like it's edited by somebody who's never seen a motion picture before (laughs) and has no expectations about how things are supposed to work and, and he does all his own editing yeah and it yeah. always has and so and this, which which makes it even more interesting really because yeah. it's like it's um obviously it's like it's done somebody by somebody who knows how to conventionally do it correctly but it feels mm. like a very incorrect film yeah yeah in a lot of ways and yet yeah well, no, I mean, I, this is his first time using a digital editing system <laughs> right because he cut everything else on flatbeds yeah yeah he? yeah yeah well that i mean i guess that's i think the thing he said in your interview whereas everybody's like urging him to shoot on video it's like you want a video <laughs> this is video <laughs> um speaking of you mentioned jodorowsky in passing yes. you didn't actually make it to the dance no reality, i didn't did but you? um the in- most interesting array of people have said that they really got really got a lot from it it's fascinating because i came out of that movie and i i fell really hard for it um i found the first couple minutes a bit off-putting there's some really um dodgy cgi and some very grandiose statements and also there's a lot of stuff in the circus and I, i'm not a really big circus fan um <laughs> and and i'm like man this is going to be a grueling sit i just wound up falling hard for it um it's uh but i at the end i still expected you know i mean i'm i'm the guy yeah. that loves holy mountain yeah and to see people like you know david larson and hugh Lilly, i think both yeah like who, neither of whom I think are really as really hardcore, incredibly strange people mm. coming out for that. But it is it is a very in Jodorowsky's unconventional way. It is a very conventional film. So yeah, I've heard people yeah. say it's the most approachable. I I would I mean I've only seen El Topo and Holly Mountain, so um, that that I haven't seen Fando Elise or Santa Sangra yeah. or. I think there's one, The Rainbow Thief or something, which is kind of disowned. There's mm. a, one or two that he did that he kind of were works for hire, I think. Yeah. But um, he's taken 23 years off, and I think, like, there's been a lot of filmmakers who come back sort of at the end yeah. of their career with something that doesn't really yeah, recall those past back, yeah. glories, and it's a bit of a shame. And um, this is just the opposite. You know, this is, uh, this is a film that still has... I mean, I guess in the same way as computer chess or upstream color still has a relentless creativity about it, maybe mm. less in form. I mean, he's not necessarily like, you know, coming up with completely unconventional ways to shoot things. And in fact, um, I mean, his coverage is often quite nice and you know, mm. uses a lot of moving camera and such. Um, it's a quite moving, restless mm. uh, film in certain ways. Um, it's this pay into childhood, and I, mm. I don't know to what extent it's autobiographical or not. His um, son in real life plays the father of the protagonist in the film, yeah. and the protagonist is a child who is um, the Jodorowsky surrogate figure. And Jodorowsky yeah. himself appears on screen at times, over yeah. uh, standing over him, explaining what's going on. There's a long litany of the strange things that happen in this film that yeah. you could sort of describe um but i think to do that would not only just spoil it but Mm. sort of take away from the emotional journey of it a bit because the thing is not that it's like holy mountain which is a film i love Mm. is just such a fire hose of weirdness and singularity and and Mm. that's what it's about Whereas this, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm about to say this, is a satisfying coming-of-age film. (laughs) (laughs) Admittedly with some detours and admittedly with some very non-standard things. But it it is about that um, 
journey through a childhood in sort of a specific political environment, a specific parenting environment, um, negotiating all the great Jodorowsky themes of religion and belief and sexuality and everything else, and wandering this crazy line between mysticism and um, reality and and stylization and going back and forth at at points you – you know, there's one scene where somebody wakes up and they're um, painted like the Chilean flag, and oh, you, yeah, yeah. and you think it's like just some sort of random thing that he's done, and then some character explains the whole reason that that's happened. Oh. But then there's other things that are completely just as stylized and completely, yeah. yeah, either inexplicable or if they're chosen not to explain. And yeah, some of the stuff like I mean, the cheapness of some of the VFX shots is a bit annoying, but that's certainly not yeah. an uncommon thing um, overall way more satisfying than I expected it to be and another film that I think will have a major reputation as it grows yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was literally the last screening of the festival yeah. and it, I don't think it played Wellington at all and I don't think That's it got, the, got major attention out of Cannes I think a lot of people skipped it if they weren't already committed Jodorowsky fans yeah. but I think that as more people discover it it's going to be like this isn't just an intriguing footnote to, to an, somebody's yeah. Filmography. Oh, yeah. This is a core text, yeah. um, which is pretty great for somebody who's 83 and yeah, showing yeah. no signs of slowing down. Um, my friend who I saw it with had seen him in London a few years ago and said he was with his uh, 35-year-old girlfriend. So that might be oh. part of his uh, <laughs> part of his secret. But <laughs> oddly, um, the one of the persons that I heard about it from who said it was their favorite film was uh, a guy I um, am in a pop quiz team with who um, who's Either in his late seventies or early eighties. <laughs> oh, maybe it appeals to people <laughs> that generate. Yeah, maybe, maybe they have some more childhoods, which would be night, weird. And, and we were, and we were uh, saying, oh, so yeah. what were your festival topics? Because he saw thirty-five yeah. films or whatever, and, and he was like, oh, favorite by far was Dance Reality. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's great though. Because I mean, there is there is an element. I mean, I'd love to yeah. see it. If nothing else, it has an. Yeah, for some content that actually could be banned. Mm. Um, yeah, it yeah. has. Um, it does have kind of a accessible story, and yeah. um, while while being very uncomfortable at certain yeah. points in terms of its explicitness and sexuality and other areas. Mm. So, what else uh, was a highlight for you? Well, I was wondering. I was going to dive into a low light, actually, just transitioning okay. out of um, dance reality um, to another Chilean film. Which uh, was probably well, no, it was the only dud of my screening experience this year. I, ha- I mean, I had a few that I thought were you know they were a bit pedestrian or what have you, but they were fine, okay right. films. But there was just one bad film that I saw, and I actually got um, given a ticket to it by um, by, the, by the same same guy that, that was, who, <laughs> old guy, he, the film we couldn't make in the end, which I had planned to see. It was in the strange section called Magic Magic by right. Uh, Sebastian Silva. Silva. Yeah, Silva. Yeah, Who incidentally Silva. was the um, uh, one of the assistant directors on To the Wonder, which maybe we'll talk uh, about okay. after this. Interesting. But, um, this was just... It was just bad. Uh, so this is Juno Temple and yeah, Michael Sarah yeah, doing Temple, a repulsion riff? Sarah, yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, speaking... Michael Sarah speaking some, I guess, passable Spanish... Um, I mean, it was it was a kind of a horror film, except that it really wasn't very scary at all. Juno Temple was playing kind of the the kind of key character and who becomes afflicted or what have you. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, it's kind of like a, a psychological <laughs> horror thrillery kind of thing, and right. it was just uh, overacted. And, and knowing that these actors can do pretty decent performances, I've got to then put it down a lot to the to the direction and the writing. Right. And you know the backstory of the film, right? No. So there was another film called The Crystal Fairy. Okay. Which uh, Silva was making with Michael Serrett around the same time, um, and I think something happened to the funding of that. And I think oh, they yeah. ran off and did Magic Magic while while they were, they were still out the funding okay. from it. Yeah, um, yeah I, okay. I might have some of the details of that story wrong, but that's okay. my because they're they're Crystal Crystal Fairies just opened in the states. I mean that, and, uh, that perhaps gives a little more context, but doesn't that doesn't mean you should enjoy forgive, it? Yeah, yeah, no. the travesty. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't walk wow. out on films. I, I've walked out on one film in my. Right. In my cinema going life, and I I didn't walk out on this, but I was right on the edge. I I made myself stay, and I was so kind of angrily, why did I waste my time <laughs> sitting through this when I could have been at home with your family? With my yeah, kids. yeah. I actually had that experience earlier tonight, but because I support New Zealand oh, film, yeah. I'm not going to say <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I had it with anyway. Oh uh, my goodness! Uh, yeah, primarily it was just really poor acting or, hmm. or, or really poor direction and, and scripting yeah. the lines were so and and the character the characterizations were so unbelievable and and for i, t- I kind of tried to rationalize it to myself a little bit by thinking well maybe there's a cultural second language sort of dimension here that you know isn't quite coming across but then you know i've seen plenty of chilean films i mean no for example yeah by pablo lorraine where there is none of this issue and and you get Everything is, you know, comes across really well. Mm. But no, like people, the responses that people, the characters give to each other make no sense. They chop and change. They're like yeah. extreme out of, like they're out of proportion to what, what's been happening. None of it made is any it, kind, it's of dramatic kind of sense. like a subjective POV thing, you know, because like if you think of repulsion, like that's part of the thing of repulsion is that nah. it's become surreal. No, no, I haven't seen it. So I'm and just... it wasn't even like it wasn't surreal at all. There were, I mean, there were some psychological elements to it, but they just didn't really connect. Right. Yeah, it was, it was just very poor. So tell me how you really felt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I came out of it and I, and I actually felt like did I watch this before he programmed it? Because <laughs> most oh. of his picks are really good. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I I always wonder sometimes with some stuff. I mean, I know mm. that there's some films at other festivals and I don't know how New Zealand Film Festival makes their selections but sometimes yeah. there's films at other festivals where it's like oh well if you want this you have to take that yeah like, yeah you yeah. know or certain distributors yeah, who just like possibly oh yeah well this is this is what we've got this year and um you know that and so maybe that was yeah. a factor or maybe not because I saw um, a number of um, films out of the strange section um probably six maybe right. five six and all of the other ones that I saw were at least at least I, for me, were at least good or really good. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I, I, another one that I saw in the strange section was uh, the Source Family. Um, which oh was, yeah, the bizarre cult. Yeah, thing. yeah. I really yeah. liked that. I, I missed mean, that, but I was um, a bit sad to be missing it. It was. It's well worth catching up with. I think yeah. you can actually download it from their site for oh, okay, yeah, certain yeah. for a fee or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was. I think perhaps you know having two musical documentaries in that section meant that maybe neither got quite the attention mm. they deserved. But uh, although having said that, both screenings were pretty full. Mm. Um, but Source Family is just, you know, this amazing story about this guy who is actually a killer, 
like really? has been arrested for killing people and um, ex-military and, oh. you know, get got minor sentences for self-defense or something and winds up starting this health food restaurant in L.A. <laughs> and then winds up starting this cult. And the <laughs> film's mostly told from the um, points of view of various cult members yep. um, narrating this story. Uh, yeah, because it's a lot of archival footage, is that right? It's a bit of, arch- yeah, some archival footage, some extraordinary archival footage of the first uh, birth in there. Uh, the person I saw it with felt in particular that there wasn't quite enough mm. footage to justify it. But I um, I just thought it was such a gripping story. Um, it actually, for me, I sort of, I got into this game near the end where I'd sort of pair movies with other movies and yeah. have these really strange comparisons. But with Source Family, I kept thinking of compliance. Oh, yeah. yeah. In terms of, like, you know, the levels of which this guy just kept pushing what the rules of the cult were and what people were supposed to believe and would people go with it and the extent to which people did in these lives that were affected by it. Um, one of the uh, strengths and or weaknesses of the film is that the last 10 minutes are kind of devoted to all these people you've met finding out what their lives have been like in the, I think like 30 plus years or whatever, since the oh, cult yeah. is split up. And so it's quickly does this fire hose stream through all these people's yeah, yeah. lives. Uh, uh, each one of which are just astonishing, unpredictable yeah. stories from, you know, living in like what seem like survivalist compounds to like <laughs> start, you know, selling off multi-million dollar software companies. Yeah, and you're yeah. just like, whoa, you know, and, um, and kind of, there's a lot of kind of like cult documentaries yeah, uh, where you come away like, well, that was obviously a bad thing. Yeah. And there's certainly like a lot of issues <laughs> to say yeah. the least <laughs> with the source family. But at the same time, Everybody who was in the Source family has a very different sort of relationship to that, and there's yeah. not a single story in that. Yeah. And that was really they're not all uh, coming out going, "This is terrible." And yeah, and, and also, and also, the music was a big factor as well yeah. in that, which is also part of. Um, I mean, there is a book that you can get, but actually, what do they have? Like a big choir or band uh, or something? Uh, yeah, not a choir. It's more like kind of like proto sunra orchestra, kind of oh, like right, yeah. banging on timpani and oh, yelling yeah. about. Father Yoda and put out like hundreds of records. There's bits where like Billy Corgan and pe- people like that are showing up talking about how collectible those records are and <laughs> how fascinating they were. Um, yeah, there's just all these different little uh, insights into this cult. So that that was um, so. Yeah, hats off to that for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else hit your? Uh... Well, I, I guess we should uh, hit a film that really went in opposite directions for us. I think in terms of expectations, which was um, Leviathan. Yeah. Which we both had quite high expectations going in, and I, for me, um, those expectations were met and then some. Although now, you, I don't think you had quite as high expectations that I did because I think I, I mean I expected that to be my film of the festival. Oh right, okay, yep. Like I'd actually blocked it in t- tentatively for a second viewing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, tell me about you. Uh, oh, oh, you, you wanna... tell me about your your response to it. And what, okay. Why? What? What? What went wrong for you? Or or. <sighs> Overall, how did it come out? Like, uh, understanding that you expected it to be super good, yeah. but like, if you, if let's say we had no sense of expectation on it, how um, that came out? I, well, I mean, it's hard for me to divorce it from that yeah, because okay. I think, like, I mean, I'd seen the trailer a certain number of times, yeah, yeah. Not, not even the trailer, but a scene that had a certain physicality to it, and um, I. 
I had, yeah, I mean, I, I struggled with it a lot. And, like, did I just have too high of expectations? Did I have the wrong kind of thing? I mean, it's very, it is in some ways largely what I expected, which is a lot of abstracted footage of documenting this um, trawler boat and its yeah. activities. Actually, it's apparently several um, trawler boats, which you can't quite tell. Yeah. I think one thing that I hadn't really counted on was how poor the video quality, quality was. Yeah. I sat relatively close, and um, I felt like there was a lot of time. You know, obviously there's certain shots that they could only get with these GoPro cameras yeah, being thrown yeah. out in the water. And there's beautiful moments. There's amazing moments of abstraction. But um, often I felt like the core of it could have been like 20 or 25 minutes. But then then there would be shots of people and things like that, and, and they'd just they just be like frustratingly like look like dv you know yeah and, yeah and so i think the thing is that the extent to which it's a meditation on textures the textures didn't quite work the they weren't they didn't have the right physicality for me as an image yeah to really get lost in them in the same way that they seem to when i looked at them on a laptop yeah, screen yeah. you know yeah. um the resolution's way different when you're looking at a 13 inch yeah, monitor yeah, yeah. and then that and then as a document of what this boat was and what it did, it was so frustratingly abstract and kind of selective in what it did that you, yeah, yeah. you didn't really have a sense. I mean, there was a point where I was like longing for it to turn into like the Frederick Wiseman documentary. Yeah, yeah. All that said, the last scene, um, the next to last scene is a very long locked off take of a guy watching. Yeah television yeah um which after a lot of handheld stuff is kind of a nice yeah, yeah sort a of, of a ma- yeah and maybe yeah. because it was a reset the last scene which had some very un um, <coughs> camera reversing itself lots of yeah birds um i i really got into it and i really and i don't know i mean once a year <coughs> i i really miss the ball on a film and that i'm often really anticipating and then go back to it a second time like oh well that's what it is and like yeah, I mean, I mentioned Drive before Drive, yeah. as a film that I had that with, and so I mean, I I, I don't really want to bash it. It's like nothing else. Um, the sound, and I'm glad I saw it in the theater because the sound design, in particular, mm. um, even despite my frustrations with the actual image resolution, mm. Ernst Carroll, who did the sound, um, who's a prominent electroacoustic musician, mm. did an amazing mm. and and gave it this really compositional rigor that I think yeah. holds it together in a way that just the images themselves oh, yeah. don't. But it, having said that, it sounds like you really responded to those images on yeah. a deeper, more sustained level than I did. Yeah, yes. Um, I, admittedly, like it did feel a little bit like like the trailer, for want of a better term. Um, it is called the trailer on Vimeo, but it, it really doesn't seem like a trailer at all. Um, is one of the more interesting visual segments out of the film. Yeah. In terms of the the amount of movement and the and the, the interesting contrast between being in the water and then being amongst the birds and stuff, but for me, I guess the, it was just such a completely immersive and and completely visceral experience. I don't know if that's at all kind of touched by my closeness to um, boats and the fact that I've worked this summer on a, on a, on a fishing boat. Oh, not, really? a tra- okay. not a trawler, but my grandparents and my uncles run commercial fishing boats, longliners. My uncle does scalloping and things like that, um, and so. I you know, I've worked a summer job on on, on my grandfather's boat, um, which is much smaller than that. But it's you know it's a lot of that stuff of right. dealing with um, fish and and the, the the rolling swell and the movement and the, right. something of that 
that feel that sort of connects connected to me but i just found just yeah like the the darkness i i understand what you what you say about the quality of the pictures i definitely in, in the low light scenes there was um i mean aside from the complete abstraction there was a lot of you know very kind of grainy you know washed out and not not very sort of appealing pictures in that sense but yeah but the 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 just the the movement and the, and the immersion and 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 the the that very kind of defined space of the boat and the ocean and was just captured me and so oh, and then and certain things like that that's a scene near the start where where the camera is mounted in the bottom of a trough where fish have been sort of dumped after a catch yeah, and, and all then, these big eyed fish come in yeah and then um so they have they show the process of dumping and stuff but then there's this one scene where the camera's in where the fish is and then it feels like the camera's being sloshed around through this thing but uh, after a while it, it sort of settled with me that actually no the camera's fixed and the boat's moving so all the fish is just sloshing right, past yeah. that just the bizarreness of the position and the movement and yeah it just kind of sucked me into an interesting headspace, and I was yeah. I was riveted. I, was... I suppose also maybe because I haven't been on fishing boats. I mean, some of the viscera, like so it's the stingrays having their fins, yeah, yeah, chopped off and being thrown back out. I found that really hard to. Yeah, I like it. It stomach. is it is a difficult thing and, to like in terms of yeah. if you find that stuff difficult to watch. But but there's a. There's a, a sense in which, to us, that's shocking, but at the same time, it's so obviously mundane and routine to these guys. It's just what you do. Slop, yeah. Slop. Mm. I mean, it sort of reminded me of, ki- not exactly, but of Killer of Sheep in that yeah, regard. Yeah, yeah. You know, where it's just, just like doc- documenting, yeah. documenting that process. Just, but in yeah. that sense, it, like you had a character whose potential dehumanization and stuff like that was being mm. documented alongside that, whereas this... There's no sense of any of the humans as characters, and they, I mean, even the credits like mm. list like it's this bizarre thing where they list everybody, but they list the, the species and the humans yeah, yeah. all alphabetized. Yeah. And so I, I won't pretend to remember any of the proper yeah. species names, but um, and that did seem to be part of the project was to render both at the similar mm. level of abstraction. Yeah, and, um, yeah. I, did fi- I did find like an amusingly kind of wry. Um, that that's scene that you talked about where it um, had a, a, a shot with the camera mounted in, in what looks like a common room um, yeah. of a single uh, crew member sitting watching TV and then slowly falling asleep. Um, and, and the irony that he's watching a show that we're hearing kind of uh, poor audio yeah. of, of, of a, obviously a small TV, which sounds like a, an episode of a, a show which I've seen bits of called The Deadliest Catch. Yeah, I'm pretty sure fishing, it is from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, where a good portion of it is talking about the crew exhaustion <laughs> in a very yeah. heightened, dramatic way. But then you've got yeah. this guy who's just in this actual situation yeah. watching and slowly falling asleep. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I found the irony of that a bit cheap in a way because yeah. it was kind of like, oh, well, that's <clears throat> the mediated reality, but we're showing actual reality. But actually, you're not showing actual it's reality. You're just constructing it in a different way. And by, yeah, and it's just as much a decision yeah, yeah. tree of what's been included. In, and you're not using the same tools to shape it, mm. but those less visible tools of omission yeah. Yeah. Um, and or committing. I mean, I did, I guess that's another thing. There were scenes that I felt like were, um, I mean, you know, I edit television yeah, for yeah. a living and sometimes yeah. people go out on boats and shoot stuff. And I have shots, edited <coughs> stuff that was shot on fishing boats yeah. before. 
and you know sometimes the camera's just wandering around purposelessly for yeah. a while and uh, <laughs> and there were moments where I felt like it was just like the extended rushes that hadn't been cut down yeah, and there were other places where there were very clearly you know cut decisions yeah. Yeah. made and so but I don't know I mean I, I guess I feel like in the end I feel like apart from that I'd like to revisit it on a smaller yeah. screen like a you know like a 42 inch yeah. TV and a blu-ray or something yeah. like that and I may really connect to it. I feel very unconfident. Well, and in my I think the other sense that that, yeah, uh, that response to it that um, that I take from it is that it's it is a work of academic research as well as mm-hmm. like it's not just primarily trying to be a piece of cinema. Well, that's I mean that's the sensory ethnographic lab at yeah. Harvard, which is um, those people that made Sweetgrass yeah, as well, yeah. and they have another. Uh, film that just played at Locano, which I'm not going to remember the name of, yeah. but it's a series of 10-minute shots mounted on this um, sky tram in Nepal. Yeah. And so it's like that each every shot in the film runs the duration of it, the 10 minutes it takes to get yeah, from one yeah. place to another. And yeah, I, I mean, the Leviathan filmmakers have been quoted as you know, being like, we don't even know what this film yeah. is. And so, um, and so in that sense, it's quite invigorating that it's not playing by narrative rules and it's not playing by these standard rules and it's trying to negotiate what it is Mm. at some level but it also makes it very difficult to gauge if it's being successful or is useful in any way other than if you happen to hit its wavelength and Mm. and clearly like a lot of people have it's been very well received i don't know how much of that is because it's non-traditional and how much Mm. because is because it's working at a level that i wasn't receptive to in that screening Mm. i think that's something that um is always a danger of films that you see in the back half of the festival yeah that you're just so yeah um the the first week yeah i mean i'm always curious like i mean i think there's more films from the first weekend than the third weekend um that are in my top thing and there's more disappointments in the third weekend but like Mm. if i had seen if i had seen to the wonder the first day you know would it have blown me away or Mm. would it would it actually have been as frustrating as <laughs> so talk to talk to me about to the wonder because that's to, that, that, yeah. that's been dividing critics all over really yeah well it is it's the latest terrence mallet film and to be honest for the first 10 minutes i thought it was going to be my film at the festival it for what reason a couple of reasons i mean malik's a guy that i always have like elements of his films yeah. but like i mean famously with like the tree of life i think the tree of life is a film where everybody liked parts of it and didn't like other parts yeah. of it. And it was such an ambitious mess of trying to combine creation and dinosaurs and the story of Texas and, yeah. you know, and all this stuff. And it's just like, Ugh. and so, yeah, to the wonder starts as this beautiful, like 10 minute sort of abstraction on love yeah. and just seems like this really tender thing. And then, it eventually becomes clear. I think my snarky comment was um, on Twitter was like, it's a story of extreme rhapsodic love that chronicles its general eventual degradation into nothing, uh, which was also my experience. And so again, like, you know, what I said with my experience of having seen that narrative so many times, I don't know. But um, the thing is that as characters, there's a lot that is... um, kept to uh, kept from us and they're mm. they're very much ciphers to a huge extent even though we hear a lot of mm. voiceover the actual motivations for a lot of what they do are hidden and mm. we kind of 
we we experience because of how the characters are moving and the music and all of that that yeah. they're now at this point in their relationship but it's kind of like you know there's even voiceover that I think it's like we argue over what we don't know or whatever and yeah, it's yeah. just like well I don't know why you're doing this either but <laughs> uh, but at the same time there's yeah it's beautifully shot um it um and one of the a critic I respect, um, Bill Gilberry, um, talked about it a lot as a dance film, and there is almost a comical amount of, in particular, the female lead, Olga Kriyenko, oh, I think yeah, her name yeah. is, um, is, is prancing around the place all the time. Yeah, it, it just, it was just so frustrating because I fell so hard for it, and then it just, and I always feel like, I just want to watch Malik short films. I just want yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I do think he's a master of sort of abstractly putting a bunch of different stuff together and distilling these emotional essences. And there's these moments in every single film he's done which just capture that. And um, maybe knowing what narratively what To the Wonder is, if I want to f- hear that story again, I'll do it fine. But it, it was just like getting to a certain point where it's just like, you know, I really don't know who these people are. And I really don't understand why they're making the decisions that they're making. And as such, even though you've emotionally structured this film to try to create these moments of poetry and beauty, and they're undeniable in places, I'm getting really frustrated. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's understandable that it didn't get kind of the big civic push. And it's, um, um, and, and it's hard to tell how, I mean, as an actor, you know, Ben Affleck's a great director Every once in a while, he'll find something that hits his sweet point, but he's his, his a pretty opaque. Mm. You know, it's difficult to tell what's going on inside mm. him, I find. Mm. And that can work in certain roles. That was a mean thing to say about Ben Affleck. I'm sorry. You're not listening, Ben Affleck. <laughs> you, you can go cry in bed at night in your piles of money. But... <laughs> Yeah, and then there's some stuff with Javier Bardem as a priest in there that's kind of meant to be a counterpoint that kind mm. of doesn't really quite. Mm. Gel. It, it's just yeah, it's it's another Malik film that feels like it's a bunch of stuff that was in the editing room, and in the end, this is kind of what came out, and that's mm. his process more and more is just gather mm. stuff and then see what happens. But it just doesn't feel like it ever is really baking and coalescing for me mm. as I want it to. Mm. I'm sorry. I don't like being negative about films. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I still gave it three stars. I kind right. of yeah. Um, well, I mean, and and that's the um, notes to put on on these things is that aside from for me, Magic Magic, yeah. Even the films that I thought were a bit average were actually kind of if I put them side by side to a bunch of sort of regular everyday mainstream films that I might go and see. Yeah, well, they'll sit. They'll sit nicely right beside there, or be better. You know. Um, well, yeah, and if, if I'd seen To the Wonder in, like, February or something yeah. like that, you know, would I have reacted to it differently? Probably, yeah. you know? It's just, um, yeah. you know, you're just spoiled by such a... Um, section. I'd seen, like, um, like Someone in Love, which told what in some ways is a similar... Yeah. Similarly um, cynical story about the endurance of love in um, a very structured systematic way i mean i yeah, love yeah. kiristami that's the kiristami yeah yeah it's set in tokyo Sit, yeah. and um yeah it's a, it a brilliant film i don't think it was as um i didn't love it as much as certified copy mm. it's not playing at sort of the same level of like sort of elevated unexpected boonwell-esque surrealism that that mm. film plays at it's very um straight straightforward in its mm. narrative in a way but constructed in a really 
interesting way that parallels these two stories about the well, the, I mean the the two core characters. One's a call girl who gets sent on a thing that she doesn't really want to go on, yeah. and goes to meet this older professor yeah. um, who's a translator. They both have complications in their lives, mm. and yeah, it's it, at a certain level, it's a very simple story of how these two people wind up coming together and um, trying to protect themselves around the rest of the world encroaching around them. Um, And on the other level, there's lots of little interesting things Mm. tucked in the margins that aren't necessarily as apparent. And uh, some random woman found me on Twitter after I posted about it. I was like, how could you, you know, it's just like (laughs) completely thought the film was useless. And um, yeah, and I guess that's another reason I don't like talking badly about some films is it's like is is it the film or is it just that I haven't been able to get my head into the place where this is working for me the way that I wanted it to and I mean like like someone in love baffled a lot of critics that I respect it's mm. the first time and it it does have what seems like a um almost a punchline of an ending where you're just like whoa what and um but actually it kind of for me it made a lot of sense with consideration yeah Hmm? Anything else you want to champion? Uh, yeah, yeah. A little um, Mexican drama. La Jola de Oro. I think it is, yeah. But isn't it like one of Ken Loach's assistant directors or something? So like, <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know if he's yeah, actually Mexican uh, or not. I'm not sure. We don't have to have a regularly scheduled Ken Loach yeah, I'm not sure. session this time. But um, it was, that was a, a really nice, I guess, well, nice. It was pretty grim in many ways, <laughs> but it was very kind of nicely out there and it looked really nice I, I guess it was one of those films where it, it had a grim a grim kind of story this and, is the three kids crossing yeah, yeah. the border and so yeah it was kind of about a group of kids who uh, uh, and living in the barrios in, um, in Guatemala, Guatemala um, and they have the dream of going north um, as they put it towards the states to try and find a better life I guess yeah. and, and it's not really a grass is always greenest film although there are elements of that that play out but it really is about the journey of these kids and as representative i guess of of people trying to take that journey out of a hard situation into a situation that may or may not be better right um and the the journey itself has so many risks and and kind of difficult parts to it but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be less appealing than the status quo. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it says a lot about, I guess, the state of people's lives and poverty and, and what drives illegal immigration and things like that. But the the film itself uh, is very much... Oh, I, I, I don't want to say verite, but it, there's a verite sense to the, to the travel in it. But it's shot really, really nicely with... Um, uses light excellently and... It, and there is this kind of a drama and a flow to it that that isn't what you'd think of as a verite film, but right. but it's obviously a very real setting. And then when, when I got to the credits at the end, because I'm the kind of the credits hound, you see, I saw that okay, shot on location in, okay, this has actually tracked the journey from right. Guatemala up through to the states, um, through all the different sections of Mexico wow. and what have you. So this really happened. And then later on, the only translated part of the credits, because it's all in Spanish, has a little subtitle that says. The filmmaker would like to thank, going over a list of quite a large list of names, list uh, the over six hundred people taking making the journey that allowed us to shoot their journey. So it was shot 
um, on the road with a bunch of people immigrating. Right, wow. Yeah, um, which then sort of explains the very verite feel of a lot of it. Looking yeah. at it as you go. Yeah, oh. and, and it wasn't kind of like a heightened dramatic, this is really grim, just a kind of, I guess, people putting their sort of hat in the ring to try and get something different in life, and it wasn't always going to work out. Now, have you seen Sinombra? I haven't. I need to loan that to you at some yeah. point. But, um, yeah, because it's another train travel oh, uh, yeah, yeah. immigration uh, mm. tale. And, and and this one, is this some number about kids, or is it about... Uh, teenagers. Or something. Yeah, yeah, okay, oh, yeah. yeah, so it's pretty similar thing. And, and yeah. this is very much like these, teena- these teens who have a certain level of relationship, and then another guy joins in who's a... Um, He's like a Mayan or Incan. He's he's like a non-Spanish speaking who sort of doesn't really speak, and they and he sort of is at odds with the kind of the de facto group leader young kid, and then then they kind of create a bond as they travel. Okay. But they're constantly thrust into adult situations where even the adults don't have any control, and it's it's very kind of unsentimental in the way that it plays out. Like stuff happens quite matter of factly. Yeah, so you've got these characters that you're invested in, and then, you know, just like that, something happens, and then maybe they're gone. And so, yeah, the director has this sort of very um, good sense of of giving you a, a very kind of realistic portrayal of the lack of power that these characters are in. And so... They they're on this. They've made this decision to go on this journey, and it's and it's tough. But it's not all this kind of great dramatic thing of oh they struggle and they get by, or or something happens that goes wrong, and so the other characters band together and and they and they put it right. Stuff happens, and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm. And it's not just the kids; it's the adults in the situation as well. Yet the story kind of retains a sense of hope. Um, And it was odd. I was talking to another friend who came out of it, and they said it was. Though it was kind of a grim story with a bunch of sort of grim happenings that sort of resolved towards the end, at least for one character, but with a sort of a unclear sense of how much better was it um, for him now than it was when he started, there was still not... It wasn't a really dark edge right. film. I mean, partially that might have to do with the way that they shot it. There was a lot of light in it and, and some very... They celebrated some, some good parts of the journey on the way. But, um, yeah, it... it, it it retained a sort of a sense of the the hope that the characters had for something different. Yeah. So to ask a question for a friend. Yeah. If I had a friend who say didn't like Ken Loach films very much, <laughs> <laughs> do you think that friend would like? Uh, what if, what if Ken Loach spoke Spanish? You know, like is that the really only difference? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> it, it, no, it, it it doesn't have. The Does kind it? of well, where Ken, Ken Loach films often have a, I guess, and I don't mind it, but have a sense of drudgery to them. Does, <laughs> would, that, would that would that be fair? Do you think? Uh, fair, although it's not my main problem. But yeah, okay. I mean, my main problem is sort of this schematic kind of like this character exists to reflect this thing I believe about society. Oh, okay. This policeman is here because policemen are corrupt and. Um, uh, okay, you know, no, I I wouldn't say that it does that. There are certainly characters do work towards the end of of the kind of i guess the character that sticks around the longest like you know they 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 have a sense that the one character sort of takes a, an arc that's longer than everyone else and other characters fates kind of then sort of um push into moving his along yeah. um but at the same time you don't get the sense that they existed purely for that right it's just a very kind of realistic sense of the journey and the road 
but again, yeah, no, has a has a a much sort of yeah. To me, it seemed less forcefully directed and and almost had an observational feel to it. But okay. yeah, but obviously, cool. it was a, a written film. Yeah. Although I guess to some extent, if it was shot along the way as it went on, yeah. then perhaps there's some lesser than element to it as well. Yeah, hard to know. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean it's hard to know. Some some of the stuff could might well have been like it seemed like it was not improvised as such, but was just happening. Um, right. And you know, knowing what we know now, perhaps it was just happening and yeah. they were shooting. Yeah. Cool. On that note, um, shall we wrap up for? Um, the moment yeah we're depending might, uh, on popular demand maybe we'll do a round two yeah or we may do maybe we'll just curl up and watch uh lady terminator again or something yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, get, get some bad <laughs> I do, movies i do into need, I do need really... a, a dose of a dose of a complete trash yeah well maybe we can um bring some uh, old friends back and watch some ninja movies or something oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah yeah that'd be good <laughs> sounds good cool till next time this is doug this is jacob you've been listening to best worst podcast cheers